Hey, this is Mark. Before we get into this episode, I wanted to let you know that after a couple of years of thinking about it and wanting to do it, I'm in a place where I'm ready to expand my practice to support couples. So if you're a person who is familiar with me, familiar with my work, and has confidence that I'd be able to help, and if you're in a place in your relationship where you could use some support, you may want to get in touch. I'm opening up some spots on Tuesday evenings, so that's got to be a fit for you if you'd like to get this kind of help. And if not, then don't worry, later I'm sure there will be other spots available. But if you already know me, like me, trust me, if you want some support in your relationship, and if you think you have time on Tuesday evenings, you can send me an email at mark at markbutler.com, and we'll talk about it. Now, as always, be warned that my email response time usually varies somewhere between 60 seconds and two weeks. So after you send the email, be patient. You will hear back from me. You'll either hear that I'm excited to talk with you or that the three spots that I've opened have already been uh, filled, but in either case, you will hear back from me sooner or later. Thanks for your patience in advance. I'm very excited to start helping couples. I think this is some of the most important work that any practitioner, any helper can do is to strengthen and support people in their relationships. So if that sounds like it could be a fit for you, get in touch, mark at markbutler.com. And with that, Let's see what's in this episode. Good morning, everybody. Happy Tuesday. I've got that Tuesday buzz. I've really, really come to look forward to these sessions. I'm really excited about it. It's probably in, in part because I'm getting a lot of good feedback. I'm getting emails from people and some texts saying that the content is resonating. And that, of course, means that well, to me, it's really fun to be able to be helpful in some way. Um, and I'm, I'm just as excited about what we're going to talk about this week. The goal, as always, is to try to simplify so much of what we're doing as one-on-one coaches to make it more clear so that we can take action more easily and more confidently and, and have more fun with it and enjoy it more. Feel like more of our work is, um, is, is something we look forward to. And so, yeah, I'm loving it. As always, my big request is that if you are getting something from the beautiful business series, you can thank me by telling a friend, tell a, tell a friend who's a coach or a friend who's curious about being a coach, send them the beautiful business podcast. And I think we're, I'm, I'm pretty confident they're going to be glad you did send it to them. So let's get started today. My audio is good, right? It's not the echoey audio. I got to make sure I'm using the right mic. Yep. Okay, good. Audio is good. Okay. I had all, I had a whole way I was going to present this material. And then I had a good friend who has been a client. Um, We worked together for about the last 18 months and now we're keeping in touch, which is one of the many benefits of a one-on-one business is that your clients become your friends. She sent me a long text on Friday And she was telling me that she had that day, she had signed two new clients, sent me this long text, explaining what happened, thanking me for the small role that I played in that. And it was really fun. And then I picked this sentence out from her text. And I said, can I share this sentence on next Tuesday's session? It kind of captures the essence of really the whole philosophy, but Specifically, it gets into how I think about content in a one-on-one coaching business. So here's the sentence. 
A woman saw my Facebook post in a group we're both in, found my podcast, signed up for a call, and then we talked for over an hour. When she sent me this, I, I replied back to her a couple of days later. I said, you know, that sentence is an entire marketing plan for a one-on-one -on -one coach. It's all there. It's all there. Let's break it down together. A woman saw my Facebook post in a group we're both in. The principle here for us as one-on-one -on -one coaches is we need to be where our people are. That could be Facebook groups. It could be retreats. It could be uh, offline networking groups. We need to be where our people are. And she was where her people are. They're, they're both in a Facebook group together. I don't know whether the Facebook group relates specifically topically to the coaching she does. I think it does. But you've probably heard me say before that I think there's just as much value in participating in groups that don't directly relate to your, your coaching topics, the, the problems that you solve. But a, a woman saw her post in a group they're both in. So she's where her people are and she's participating in a non-transactional way. This is part of a content conversation. Some, uh, in fact, a lot of the content we create will be participatory content. It will be comments on other people's published work, comments in Facebook groups, comments on Instagram posts, comments, comments on YouTube videos, um, posts we make in forums we may might participate in. We're participating, but where people get confused is, okay, quick sideline. Actually, I have a story. Another good coaching friend, this is a couple of years ago now. She just did this once. And I want you to know, she, I don't think she was wrong. I think this came from a place of pure enthusiasm, but here's what she did. She found 50 Facebook groups or something. She went through those 50 Facebook groups and basically made a coaching offer, which I think was maybe her first post in those groups. Hey, I can coach you. I can help you. I think she was immediately banned from a very high percentage of those groups. It was extremely well-intentioned to do that. She wasn't trying to hurt anybody. She wasn't trying to, you know, violate the spirit of the group. She wasn't trying to scam any. She only went in there wanting to help and knowing she could help. But by jumping straight to an invitation to a transaction, she violated the spirit of the group and she was banned by many of them, maybe most of them. So the key here is, and, and my client who shared this with me, she participates in these groups in a non-transactional way. Look, folks, it takes confidence. It takes patience. You could say it takes love to participate in a non-transactional way. And that non-transactional attitude will flow throughout every touch point in your business. We're going to talk, we even have more examples from this specific interaction, but she's participating in a non-transactional way and she is where her people are. This is a, to me, it's the foundation of a marketing plan for a one-on-one -on -one coaching business. Then she says, the person quote, found my podcast. Now this is the, the crux. This is sort of the, the thrust of today's conversation, but the principle is content can be, should be a soft landing into your world. All of us love to stalk each other on the internet. I have a good friend who's a lawyer and he's very bored in his job a lot. And so he's like, I'll sit on these 
forever long conference calls where I don't have to say anything. And he said, I play a game called Google everyone I know. We all love to stalk each other on the internet. What we want to do with our content, I think our content's biggest job is to create a soft landing into our world so that when someone wants to go learn about us, before they talk to us, the content gives them a way to do that. Now, this is, I was making this slide and I kind of blew my own mind a little bit. I kind of argued with myself. I'm still arguing with myself about this. Content done right may even be a better like and trust builder than a one-on-one -on -one conversation. Oh man, see, even when I say it, I feel like this visceral thing inside just saying that because one-on-one -on -one conversations are so important to me, so important to my view of the world, to my philosophy. But I have to admit that when a person can engage with you without being uh, physically or virtually in your presence, they, they feel an increased sense of, they may feel an increased sense of safety and ease that allows them to engage with you, absorb you, like you, trust you in a way that absolutely does happen in one-on-one -on -one conversations. Maybe what I feel confident saying today is interacting with content is just an incredibly powerful and different way of building affinity, confidence, trust before a one-on-one -on -one conversation. If it's done right. And we're going to talk about doing it right probably next week's session. But I want to acknowledge that my friend, by having a podcast at all, I mean, I, I don't I don't know if she and I ever had the conversation about, you know, should I start a podcast? Shouldn't I start a podcast? But when people ask me, should I start a podcast? I pretty much always say yes for a couple of reasons. One, you can delete those episodes whenever you want. They don't have to live on the internet forever. Two, it will help you practice speaking, practice presenting ideas. And three, it will give people a soft landing into your world. It will let them get to know you so that as they're deciding whether they want to talk to you, they, um, they feel more confident doing that. It works the other way too. And I think in a good way, there's a coach that I've been aware of for a long time now, and I've thought about engaging with him. He's, he, he charges more than any other coach that I've ever heard of, but I've thought about engaging with him. And then he wrote a book and I read the book and I really enjoyed the book and learned a lot from the book. And also in the course of reading that book decided I don't think he's my coach. Now, some of you will hear that and say, well, I don't want anyone to realize, well, I don't think she's my coach. No, yes, you absolutely do want that. You want there to be a filtering mechanism that makes it so the people who come to work with you actually want to work with you. Content can make it so they're no longer dealing with an idealized version of you that they might have in their head. Content can actually help them know the truth of you so that when they come to that one-on-one -on -one conversation, they're much clearer on, I know who you actually are, and it is absolutely what I'm looking for in my guide, in my coach. So my friend, by having this 
having her podcast and she doesn't have a million episodes, by the way, she, I don't know how many she has. I would guess fewer than 50. She gave that person who was investigating her an extremely soft landing into her world where a lot of trust and confidence was built that prepared her for a one-on-one -on -one conversation. So the next phase is this person signed up for a one-on-one -on -one call. And then we talked for over an hour. And the principle for me here is coaching sells coaching. Coaching sells coaching, sales techniques, scripts, plans for how to overcome objections. Those can sell coaching. And okay, they often do because a lot of business coaches are saying, you know, here's your sales formula. I personally bristle at the idea. I don't like it. Uh, I think it brings pressure and stress into an environment where the whole goal is support and confidence. That's my opinion. So my friend used that call for over an hour to let coaching sell coaching. Uh, the Prosperous Coach, my favorite book on coaching, proposes that we give over two hours or at least two hours to somebody in an initial conversation so that they have an opportunity to experience the goodness of our, of our coaching. My friend chatted with this person for over an hour, and it was a non-transactional conversation. How do I know that? Because here is another sentence from the text she sent me. When I was telling her goodbye, she said, wait, are you taking clients? How do I work with you? She signed and paid that day. My friend had such a non-transactional view of the conversation that as it concluded, she was ready to just walk away. So the principle here is that transactions can happen and often do happen, even when there's no transactional intent. I would guess that 90 plus percent of the people who heard me say that want to argue it. They, you really want that not to be true. Here's why. The realization that transactions can and often do happen without any transactional intent opens the door to the idea that you don't have to try to control every situation you're in, every person you're interacting with. You don't have to try to steer them. You don't have to try to quote unquote coach them, which means push them into a transaction. You don't have to put conditions on that conversation. You don't have to say things. And by the way, this is in the prosperous coach and I completely disagree. You don't have to put them in a situation where you say, I can deal with yes and I can deal with no, but I can't deal with maybe. You don't have to create that kind of pressure. You don't have to violate the relationship, the trust in the relationship in that way to end up with coaching clients, paid coaching clients. You can relinquish your need for the validation of a yes and shift into the desire for connection, the desire for resonance, and you can live in that desire for connection, that desire for resonance between two human beings. And you can trust that paid coaching relationships will result. Now, 
do I, if, if my friend had talked to me before this conversation and if she had said, I'm going to try to end the call without inviting her to coach with me more, I would have said, oh no, please invite her. Please invite her. That's not being overly transactional. That's actually just saying, look, there's been resonance here between us. There's been connection here between us. And I would invite you to continue in that with me. That is what we're talking about. That's the closest thing to selling that I want to do. I want to, I want to extend an invitation to have more of what we already have. So I'm thrilled and not surprised that this woman said to my friend, wait, how do I work with you? Because that's happened to me more than a few times. And I know it's happened to a lot of other coaches more than a few times. But I'm not proposing it as the way to do this. What I'm proposing as the way to do this is when you feel that resonance between you and the person you're coaching, you just extend a harmless invitation. Would you like to do more of this? But the principle that I want to just plant in your head if I can is that transactions happen even when there's no transactional intent. And I would even go a step further and say sometimes too much transactional intent is the reason you end up without transactions. That's the paradox. But it's not even it's not that weird or surprising when you realize human beings, we're we're pretty simple animals. We're like we're like lots of other animals in the animal kingdom in the sense that when we feel instinctively that we're being um, pursued or chased, we feel a desire on a deep level to run away. But when we feel that we're curious or intrigued, we feel a desire to step closer, to investigate. That's very much at play here. That's why too much transactional intent will repel clients and a harmless invitation built on resonance and, and, and curiosity and hope will produce transactions. That is why I say that this message, a woman saw my Facebook post in a group we're both in, found my podcast, signed up for a call, and then we talked for, an over, for over an hour. That is a coaching marketing plan, marketing and sales plan in one sentence. It is that simple. Is it easy? No. Does my friend get 20 of these messages every month? No. Do I get 20 of these messages every month? Absolutely not. If I got five of these in a year, if I got three of these in a year, I know I could build a full and successful thriving coaching practice on those three messages per year because of renewals, referrals, and rate increases over time. So this is a complete marketing and sales plan, however uncomfortable that might make us because we want to engage in anxious activity so we can feel like we quote unquote did something today when the reality is participation and invitation and patience are the, are the ingredients to creating the business that I want and that then maybe some other people want. Other people don't want that, by the way. They want a very active business where they're constantly engaged in, in busy activity and output. Totally great. It's not the business I want. It's not the business I want to promote. 
Let me talk about my own experience a little bit. In the month of October, I had four coaching clients sign up. Now that's noteworthy because it's not typical for me. I didn't have four sign up in September and I don't think I'll have four sign up in November. If they show up, fantastic. Although my inventory is getting a little, a little thin. I'm there's, I've only designated a certain number of hours per week to coaching one-on-one and a higher percentage of those, those hours are getting consumed. But I had four clients sign up in October. I'm thrilled about it. Of course, all four of those relationships are at least 18 months old. So sit with that for a minute. Sit with that. If you're feeling very impatient about relationships bearing fruit, all four of the relationships are at least 18 months old. One of those relationships is, is a, is a long, long-term close relationship. So there's one long-term friendship in those four clients. Two of those clients, quote unquote, met me through Jody Moore's podcast, which I was on at the very end of 2018, uh, 19, 19, the very end of no 20. I'm sorry. I think it was the very end of 2020 that I was on Jody Moore's podcast. Yes, it was. After they heard me on Jody Moore's podcast, then they went through my free money school series in early 2021. That was a soft landing for them. They built affinity. They built trust with me. Um, and then one of those clients met me at a life coaching event back in 2019. So that's how the relationship kicked off in all four cases. But in, in all four cases, their relationship with me um, grew through a combination of one-on-one -on -one interactions and content, whether that content was live teaching, podcasts, newsletters, or social media posts, which I used to make couple of years ago. In other words, content is part of my marketing strategy, whether I like it or not. And here's what I mean by that. I have long said that a coaching practice can grow without content. I still believe it wholeheartedly. Coaching businesses can grow purely through one-on-one -on -one conversation and connection. But I can't authentically say that my coaching practice has grown without content. I have created soft landings for people in the form of newsletters, live teaching, social media posts. And that content has allowed people to increase their affinity for me and my work before we talk to each other. So I can't deny that. And I don't think it'd be fair for me to pretend that I haven't benefited from that. And in, in next week's call, I want to spend, I want to give a whole session to what kind of content and how, and how we approach the content that I think makes it an extremely soft landing for people and, and makes it so it actually does the job we want it to do in our businesses but it is a powerful tool. That's, <laughs> I may have done this whole episode just to force myself to admit out loud that content creation done right is a powerful tool in growing a one-on-one -on -one coaching practice. Oh, we've got time. Great. I've got more to say. Here's what I think content does not do and what I think it does in a one-on-one -on -one coaching practice. I think it is is usually understood by people who are starting on their journey to be the thing that quote 
gets me clients or builds my list or whatever. In other words, if we look at my original sort of business paradigm, which I call the revenue cycle, where we have marketing, which is where relationships are built, sales, which is where transactions happen, and fulfillment, which is where we deliver on the promises we made in the marketing and sales processes. I think most people think that content creation's job is to introduce new people to them. In other words, you know, when I was sort of first interacting with coaches, blogging was still a thing more than it is now. And people were like, oh, I, I publish on my blog every day. And the expectation was, and people are going to read my blog posts and join my email list and then hire me to be their coach. But blog posts don't do that, mostly, nor do newsletters, nor do podcast episodes. Now, in some cases, talk about it in a minute, they can do that. But the job of content is actually to build like and trust, not to introduce new people to you. This is the basic misunderstanding. This is why I've interacted with so many coaches who tell me, I don't know what the problem is. I've been sending my newsletter every week for two years. I've been publishing a podcast episode every week for two years. I post on social media every day. Social media is kind of a different case. Don't let me forget that I want to talk about that. But what they're doing is they're creating like and trust material, but they don't have anybody to read it or to listen to it. So it's kind of like building a billboard in the desert. There's nobody there to see the billboard, so it doesn't matter what it says. Another metaphor would be they're speaking to an empty auditorium. It doesn't matter how good the talk is. It doesn't matter how good the content is. If you're in an empty auditorium on the stage, um, yelling more loudly or giving more talks from that stage in that empty auditorium is not going to fill the auditorium. You have to fill the auditorium with other activities. And then you can give your talk from the stage. And then that talk will build like and trust with the people who are listening. But in a one-on-one -on -one coaching business, I don't think an auditorium is even the right, uh, right, the right metaphor. I think it's more like a book. If you could write the perfect book, and it's funny because it's metaphorically true, but also literally true, a book can be a great tool for this. If you could write the perfect book that would introduce you and your experience and your love and the way you address certain problems and how you help your clients feel safe and successful and how you support them, if you could create that book and then put it in the hand of 10 people who were perfectly suited for your work, that would build the like and the trust such that some percentage of those 10 would end up hiring you. And in a one-on-one -on -one coaching business, it ends up being our job to participate in the world in a way that metaphorically and maybe literally puts our book in the hands of some number of people per year. It just happens to be a lot fewer people than you think. If you're going to be in a teaching and training business, you've got to get that book into the hands of thousands. If you're going to be in a one-on-one -on -one coaching business, you've got to give, get that book into the hands of maybe, I don't know. 10 to 50 people per year. 
And when my friend says, a woman saw my Facebook post, that Facebook post was her putting her book in the hand of that person and giving that person an opportunity to say, huh, this is intriguing. And then the next chapter of the book, metaphorically, was the podcast. And then she was able to consume more of my friend's philosophy and her way of being. And the conversion rate there was extremely high in terms of number of people who got the book in their hand and ended up hiring my friend for coaching. The conversion rate was high. And that's how it is in a one-on-one coaching business. If I only need to introduce myself and my, and my work to somewhere between 10 and 50 people per year, then a relatively high percentage of those people will consume that information, feel that trust, and want to escalate the relationship. Which is why we're going to spend a whole session next week on what does that content need to look like? Um, How does it do its job of facilitating a desire to, you know, escalate the relationship? So, The job of content is like and trust. The job of content is like and trust. It is not advertising in the sense that it's going to fill the auditorium for us, right? Now, the exception is if the content is compelling enough to the person you've given it to, they will share it. There's a reason that at the beginning and end of every episode and in the emails I send you all, I say, hey, If this information is impacting you, please share it with one person. I'm trying to get you to take the book and pass it along, the metaphorical book. I'm trying to ask you, hey, if this has moved you, will you give it to someone else? We do have some cases. They're not, they're honestly not very, very frequent. Like there's not a lot of these cases, but we do have cases where someone starts a podcast. And because of timing and because of market dynamics and because of the person's particular ability in that format, that they end up only really having to publish that podcast episode every week, and it does grow itself. Those cases are so rare that they become the exception that prove the rule. It's not a marketing plan. It's not a marketing plan to just be quote unquote consistent. This is where I want to talk about the cult of consistency and all, and, uh, and just touch on the idea of B minus work or of publishing content. That's just good enough. Although we'll dig more into that next week. The cult of consistency says, if you just publish enough, people will come. But when you actually think about it, there's no reason for that to be true. Because again, if it's a billboard in a desert, it does not matter how often you change the message on your billboard. No one is seeing it. It doesn't matter how many billboards you build out there. No one is seeing them. So I really feel for people who say, well, I've been publishing my podcast every week for two years, or I've been sending my newsletter every week for two years. Right. You just built more billboards in the desert unless you went out and participated. You you went to where your people are. You added value with no transactional intent. You built relationships. You sought resonance with individuals and groups. Then there were people who could read your billboard, read your book, whichever metaphor you like, 
then we're into the like and trust building, but we've got to contact them by going where they are in a one-on-one coaching business. Some would argue that, yeah, what you can do is you can advertise. You can create advertising campaigns that take the place of participation. Well, I don't want to go make posts in Facebook groups because by the way, I'm raising my hand. I don't want to go make posts in Facebook groups. I'm going to substitute Facebook ad campaigns for the for that participation. So instead of going and meeting people in person, I'm just going to figure out Facebook ads. In fact, I have clients who they sell programs that tell coaches just just get good at these funnels. I just don't believe in it. I don't believe in it philosophically and I don't believe in it practically. There's so there are so many variables in an advertising campaign that make it really hard to figure out. Have I come across coaches who say, well, I don't know, I set up my ad a couple of years ago and that same ad's been running and it just keeps bringing me people. Does it happen? Yes, it does happen. Uh, how many times have I come across people who've had that experience? I can think of two and I have had hundreds of these conversations over the years. So if you pull that off, you will be the extremely rare exception. And the problem, my, in my opinion, the biggest problem with using advertising to grow a coaching practice or to try to start relationships is number one, the people who sign up for your consultations, quote unquote, through a Facebook campaign will no show for those consultations at a terrifying rate, like 80 plus percent. So you'll spend a bunch of your week showing up to uh, no-show consultations. The people who do show up for the consultations will have not had enough time or a soft enough landing that the confidence will be there so that at the end of that conversation, when you invite them to continue, they'll be ready to say yes. Sometimes they will say yes. And most times they will say no because the landing wasn't soft enough, the time wasn't long enough, the relationship isn't strong oh. enough. So if you want to do advertising, by all means, come back and be the person that says, Mark, you were wrong. And I'll put you on the wall of fame of all the things I was wrong about. There's a lot of very prestigious faces on that wall because I'm wrong a lot. But many of you will find that I'm right and that your time, there's actually more leverage. There's more efficiency in participation than there is in advertising. Let me just go through my notes here. Okay, I already mentioned that. Ah, this is the unanticipated, uncelebrated benefit of content creation. In 2021, early 2021, I, I joined a coaching program with a guy named Philip Morgan. I cannot recommend him highly enough. PhilipMorganConsulting.com. Philip Morgan has a program called the Expertise Incubator. And in the Expertise Incubator, you publish every day. Now, some of you are saying, Mark, you literally just said publishing more does not solve the issue. It's just building more billboards in the desert. Correct. Correct. But in the Expertise Incubator with Philip Morgan, and I love this offer so much that I think I'm going to copy it in 2023. You publish every day, but the reason you publish every day is to self-discover, 
It is to get to know yourself through the content you're creating. It is to clarify your thinking about a topic. It's to force you to dig deeper on your topic than you have before so that each day you feel like I've got a new nuance to present about this topic. I published about 200 newsletters to my money school list in 2021. And I can tell you, I knew myself so much better at the end of 2021 than I did at the beginning of 2021. I knew what I care about. I knew why my opinions are my opinions. I could support my opinions. I can argue them. And yeah, for the audience that was there, the like and trust was significant at the end of 2021. Uh, one of the coaching clients who signed with me in October has been on that list, was on that list the whole time. And yeah, by the time he and I were actually talking about the possibility of coaching together, he said, and I, of course, find this so flattering. He's like, I'm going to admit that I have a little bit of a man crush on you. And I said, you know what? I've been in that same position dozens of times where I interact with someone's content and I, and I fall in love with them in a way. But the real benefit, the uncelebrated benefit of me publishing those 200 newsletters was how much it introduced me to me and clarified my own thinking. And that's where it was located in my mind. So if you do go build 200 billboards in the desert, it may be a worthwhile activity if in the process, you're getting to know yourself much more deeply and know your values, know your opinions, know your topic, it can be worthwhile. If those 200 billboards are like pithy quotes about self-care, sorry, I don't know where that came <laughs> They are 100% a waste. I'm sorry. Some of you may feel made fun of right now. I apologize. I've done it all too. Just stop it. Just stop it. Today, stop it. It is a waste of your time. Content creation invites you to dig deeper into your own mind and your own heart. Now, if you combine that digging with sharing and participation in communities where your people are hanging out, now we're taking that billboard we built in the desert, we're turning it into like a little like a little sign and we're walking around inside of a community with it. And then, then it's got a chance to actually make a difference. But the foundation is, am I using content to self-discover and to learn? Ah, the virtuous cycle. Content creation and one-on-one -on -one coaching should create a virtuous cycle in our business that looks something like learning and sharing. So when I'm studying and I'm, and I'm creating content, if it's doing its job in my own brain and in my own heart, then in my one-on-one -on -one coaching sessions, that's going to come out. Not necessarily in a formal teaching way, but maybe just in my way of being with that client. And the client's going to let me know what's resonating. And she's going to say, oh, so for example, I have, a, I have a coaching call tomorrow, I think, with one of my regular clients. And we were texting each other about rescheduling. And she said, I'm excited to talk more about gardening, the, the principle that I introduced last week. So now what I, what I introduced in this set setting 
makes its way into the one-on-one coaching. We're going to talk about it. It's going to clarify and enrich the idea even more, which is going to make its way back into my teaching. And now hopefully I've kicked off a virtuous cycle where the content is becoming more and more useful, which in turn is giving me better and better feedback, which is making it more and more useful. And these things cycle upwards to the point where people are telling us, how did you come up with this? And you'll say, I've just kind of been working on this idea for years. I work on it with my clients. I work on it, work on it in my writing and my speaking. They kind of cycle back on each other. And over time, I end up with these ideas that are deeply resonant for me, deeply resonant for the client, deeply resonant for the people who are, who are engaging with whatever content I'm choosing to publish in the world. And that is today's session on the role of content in a one-on-one coaching business. And next week, I will share my opinions, whatever they're worth, about how you create that content. But with that, let's let's go to let's go to some chat, some dialogue. I've been ignoring my uh, chat window. Let me stop sharing my screen. Let's see what's in my chat window. Someone asks, who's the Prosperous Coach written by? It's written by uh, Rich Litvin, L-I-T-V-I-N, and Steve Chandler. Love that book. Oh, somebody else answered. Well, now it's on the audio too. Thanks, Jill. Oh, now, okay, now you're in the chat. You're introducing yourself, so maybe I can use your name now. Um, Tina says, that day I had another conversation with a woman that lasted over two hours and I was saying goodbye. And she also said, are you accepting new clients? And she also signed up with me. <laughs> I love these stories. I love them so much. And in this case, I'm so happy because you're my friend and I know how much you care about your clients. And it's just so fun to hear these things. I think I plan to do a weekly newsletter for coaches, the Tuesday thing. And I just last night I was thinking, oh, the Tuesday thing should just be stories of sort of how I met my client meaning your stories that you might be willing to share that all of you have about the journey that a client has, because I think the more of those stories we can share, the more confident we will all be in participation and uh, non-transactional conversations. Who has questions? Oh, I've got hands up. How does this work? Oh, somebody says you, I'd come. Oh, thank you. Somebody says you, you said you'd come back to talking about social media. Social media is algorithmic content where there is an algorithm. You can win the algorithm and just publishing alone can bring you people. So it sort of breaks my rule about, Hey, just publishing isn't necessarily going to bring you people in an algorithmic environment, like Google search engine optimization, um, social media, like Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, I guess. I don't, I'm, I'm that old now. I have no idea about TikTok. Uh, if you're apparently, if you're publishing the right way, the right frequency, the algorithm can deliver new people to you. So that's where social media can differ. What I tell people is if you're going to play that game, then went, play it to win. So don't just publish the self-help or the self-care declarations. <laughs> Gosh. Well, the average Instagram post just makes me like sigh, but don't just go that route. Play to win. 
take a course on the, on the Instagram algorithm, maybe hire a coach who's going to help you win the Instagram algorithm or TikTok or Facebook or whatever it is. If you want to play algorithm games, play them to win and accept the costs. And the cost of algorithm games is usually that you, you then make the algorithm your boss. And you hear people saying things like, I have to post this many times per day. You know, I'm a slave to the algorithm. Um, I have to use these hashtags or I have to do this game or that game. And I have to try to keep up on the game. So algorithm games can be massively lucrative and a huge hassle. They can be both. So you just kind of have to know whether that's a game you want to play. Um, yo, your hand is up. Can I chat with you? Yeah. How you doing? Good. How are you? I'm doing great. Okay. So I, um, when you're talking about, um, what is it that you said that you don't need to be transactional to have a, to, to get a client that, that part of the slide. Mm-hmm. So I had, I just had to share this story. I think you might like it. Um, I had someone sign up for a consult, didn't know who she was, showed up. We started talking about, I was on a, I was a guest on a podcast. She'd heard me on it and had some questions and we had an amazing conversation. Just, it, and, and like having this amazing conversation with her. And then on the other side of my brain, it's like, but this is not how a consult call is supposed to be like, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And so, and so I just kind of like hushed that side of the brain and just kept having this amazing conversation. Yes. And, um, and then I just naturally just said, I'm not sure what she then said. And then I just naturally said, so what do you want to do from this point on? Like, where do you want to take this? like aha moment that you've had. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't even trying to be transactional. Like it just, just came out. It was so organic. And so, um, it was so magical. And so after I left that call, I was asking myself, okay, how do I get more of these like magical calls where it's so organic and they just come, um, because there is that soft landing, but I love that concept of crafting the message. So it's a soft landing and, and I like, like what you said, like, you know, having the content more focused on your own self-discovery. Because I wonder if when I'm thinking about that in relation to myself, it really brings out the humanness in us. Mm-hmm. Like, what are the questions we struggle with? Because I bet that's what they're struggling with too, to find out what the answers are. That's the assumption. And we'll, we'll talk, we'll talk uh, about that next week, but it turns yeah. out that, um, Anything we as human beings find funny, there's no way we're the only one who finds it funny. Now, other people might think it's not funny at all, but there will be someone else who thinks it's funny. Anything that we find painful, anything that makes us cry, there's no way we're the only one. Anything that resonates deeply with us will resonate deeply with someone else. It's just a, it's, it's a fact of the math of the number of humans that exist and the similarity of our experiences. So yeah, that's why as you go on a self-discovery process, and I've done this twice, I didn't even mention this earlier, but in 2013, I was working at a company called You Need a Budget, and I was the staff blogger, I was the staff writer, and I wrote every day on the on the You Need a Budget blog, and I published about 200 blog posts that year. Well, 
the self-discovery there was massive in terms of, it was sort of the same process I went through in 2021, but it was the earlier version. So that's what we do. I think there's a way to do it, but it's the big benefit. It's the big benefit so that when you're in a conversation with someone and something comes very naturally to your mind and out of your mouth, and it's extremely impactful to the person, it's probably because you discovered it doing the hard work of clarifying your thinking and publishing something days, weeks, or months ago or years ago. That's that's one of the huge benefits. Uh, I want to highlight another thing you said, Hyo, which is you were a guest on someone else's podcast. I didn't even mention that today, but that's that's absolutely a content creation strategy. It's a publishing strategy is to, it's a way to have your um, like and trust mechanism also be a contacting mechanism. It's it's sort of the one way to make all those things true at the same time. You are borrowing an audience. The people are simultaneously meeting you and liking you and trusting you, and then hopefully going to the next soft landing you have to offer them in your own in your own content. Yeah. And the thing is, is that wasn't even the whole point of being a guest. It was just, I just had a message. I just wanted to share. That was it. Perfect. You know, so anyway, thanks. Thank you, Kyo. Lindsay, I see your hand up. Maybe, maybe you stepped away. There you are. Sorry, I always, every time I talk to you, Mark, I have to hide in the bathroom because I'm with my kids, but. <laughs> no problem. Um, anyway, I don't know if I have, well, I do. Every time I talk, like listen to you, you kind of blow my mind and make me look at things a different way. So I appreciate that. And um, like when I decided to become a coach, I had this vision. And I had this vision of creating like this membership mm-hmm. and, and I, and I don't know if I really knew what that meant and what it would look like, but I don't know, I guess listening to you talk about like the one-on-one coaching and how that can be beautiful. It's made me just like, just step back and look like, is that still what I want? right? Because um, there are probably things about it that are going to be not fun (laughs) or, um, you know, and so I guess I'm just like, I don't know, trying to re just make sure that this vision that I had for myself as a coach is like really what I want. And look, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that perspective because, well, first of all, maybe you, like many other people that I interact with, maybe your first thought goes to membership because membership is what has been modeled for you and very successfully. And there's yeah. nothing wrong with that. We all follow our models. So that's not weird. You're clarifying that vision, maybe as you realize that you're now you're able to take a less idealized view of that model. Yeah. That doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. Yeah. And, and so I, like, I've been kind of thinking the last few weeks while I've been talking to like listening to, I mean, I feel like I'm talking to you, but I'm just listening to you. (laughs) And, um, 
And I'm kind of like, okay, like why, like, why did I want to do the membership? And so I coach teens and Mm -hmm. I guess before I got going on this, the reason I wanted to have a membership was because I felt like creating some community around Mm -hmm. some of the topics and getting teens to connect. And, and actually before I became a coach, I was running, um, teen night, called it teen night in and I'd have like nine or 10 teens and mm-hmm. we'd discuss a topic and then we'd have conversations together. Awesome. And, um, and, and some of them actually did some of them become my clients. I don't know if they did, but it, that's fine. Um, and, but I can just see like the value of kind of that group setting for, for some reasons, but I also like with the one-on-one clients I have right now, I also see how the conversations we're having in the one-on-one setting are very different than the conversations we'd have in the group setting and how both of them are very important and very valuable. Yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. And so like, so I guess I just, yeah. Those conversations, by the way, don't mostly don't happen in a membership. Just if we're, if we're talking about the membership model. Right. Membership doesn't, it can facilitate conversation, but in the models that we have, it mostly doesn't facilitate conversation. Small groups do, retreats do. Yes. Yes. Um, Right. And so I think. Awesome. But yeah. Yeah. No. And that's good because I think that like, cause that is one thing that I have wanted to do from the very beginning as well is run retreats. And my business coach keeps saying, they don't really make money. Like, are you sure you want to do that? And, and, Mm. and I can tell that it's her personal opinion, but I notice how it has swayed me and pushed me away from that. And honestly, I did, I did run a couple of retreats, um, on a small scale this summer and I, I loved it in a lot of ways and it is something I'm going to continue to pursue. Um, and so I'm recognizing it. I don't, I don't want to be just, just do one-on-one coaching. I do want groups. I do want retreats Mm because I can see the value in what I'm trying to offer. Um, and yeah, I'm not sure if this whole membership idea was more just like, Oh, well, that's how I'm going to make good money or that's how, um, that's what I see, right? I see Jody, I see Brooke, I see, you know, and it's like, that's how I'm going to reach. Like, and I think what you're saying before too, like that's, you know, everyone says, you know, the more money you're making, the more impact you're having and questioning, questioning that, right? If you'll pardon me, I'd like to flip my desk over and kick a hole in my wall at that that statement. (laughs) There's, there isn't one that causes me more rage maybe than that one. Yeah. And I think it's really important for me to hear that because I have been listening to people say that over the last couple of years and thinking, okay, this it's is an amazing, how I help by the way, it's teams. an amazing anchoring tactic. Totally. If I tell you totally. that the more money you make, the more impact you have, then you're going to have lower resistance to paying me whatever amount of Ever. money pops out of my mouth for my Absolutely. magical program. It's anchoring, exactly. not always maliciously intended, yes. but it's always anchoring and we have to yeah. recognize it for what it is. Yeah. So I guess like my desire to come on here is like, just cause I think talking to you 
is helpful, but also just like, I mean, in my journey, like right now I'm still one-on-one coaching. Um, I'm looking at starting some groups and retreats. Like that's kind of where I'm headed. And I guess like, maybe what are the, like, what are the questions I want to ask myself or things I want to look for to kind of really see, like, is creating a membership really what I want? (laughs) The the place where I would steer you, by the way, if you love talking to me, you can hire me as your coach. Yes. (laughs) Um, The place where I would steer you is to remember if this is true for you, because it may not be. I think it is, yeah. but I, it's like, I'm careful to impose my beliefs on other people. Yeah. Money is one of your values. It's one of the things yes. you're pursuing in your business. Yeah. It's one of the forms of compensation. You get to decide whether it's the most important form of comp- compensation and how much it needs to be in order to have done its job. Right. But if, if money is always made the most important form of compensation. And if the right amount of money is always more, more, then you will always be pushed Mm -hmm. toward whatever gives you more money, money. maybe at the expense of the other things you decided were valuable to you. doesn't have to be a trade-off, but I don't have any examples of where there's been no trade-off. Okay. Yeah. And I really appreciate that perspective because Yeah. Sometimes if there's never an end, right. I'm just going to go until I can to see what I'm capable of. Right. (laughs) I mean, and these are the, like, (laughs) but like, these are the things I hear, right. This is the, and so I really appreciate you giving a different perspective and questioning that because it helps me to um, put in perspective like what, what I do really want and why am I doing this? And I actually, I, I signed a client last week and it came out of a conversation on Instagram about, uh, she followed me because I was talking about something that was important to her. I was talking about suicide and she followed me. And then it was just a conversation and Hey, I will coach your daughter for free because Like I want to help her. And, and it was just like, Hey, I'm just offering you one or two free coaching sessions. If that's helpful for your daughter anyway, and through more conversation and different interactions, that coaching session happened and they decided they wanted to work with me. And I have learned to let go of this idea of trying to sign clients that I'm just in the world to help and serve. And if people want to connect with me and have me, um, can, you know, coach them, then I'm there without this pressure or anything. And, um, and when I signed that client, I, I really wanted to make sure that it wasn't just a number that it was like, Oh, you know, cause I feel like it's like, Oh, sign the client, sign the clients. And I really wanted to make sure that I wasn't just like, this is like, okay, I got one client. Okay. And just like on to the next one and really making sure that I'm seeing these people as individuals with needs who I'm helping. And that's my why. And whether it's five people or 500 people, I never want any of my clients to become a number. Yeah. And, and so if you get big numbers, like, I don't know, 
how do you keep doing that? <laughs> so I don't know. Uh, I mean, yeah, we, we can, we can talk about the relationships between these business models in the future. You know, you can, you can have a membership, you can have groups, you can have all these things and not necessarily switch over to exclusively seeing people as numbers on the spreadsheet. It's just harder. Yeah. There's more, there's yeah. more work involved in maintaining in, a personal intent. And yes. As, as the numbers grow, because the natural state of these other business models is to optimize for bigger and bigger numbers on spreadsheets. Yeah. Which actually can create a huge amount of good in the world. These memberships we're talking yeah. about, they create an yeah. enormous amount of good in the world. Totally. So I totally agree. That's why we're not anti anything. No. We're just but creating, just, a, we're yeah. creating a, a forum where people can consider another perspective as well. So I appreciate yeah. being able to talk to you. Yeah. Lindsay. Thank you. <laughs> and um, appreciate that. Yeah. Sounds like you're doing great things. Anybody else I could chat with before we conclude today? Mark, can I say something real quick? Yeah, please. Emily. This is Emily Wardrop. So I came in late, but I just want to say that first of all, <laughs> I was just talking to Amanda Louder and she's mad that she didn't know about this, Mark. And she's like, why am I not on his email list? Why do I not know about does. anything? Absolutely doesn't <laughs> why, about it. why is he so terrible at marketing? I'm like, because we're doing the marketing for him. It's all word of mouth. That's his it's whole so true, though. thesis. I'm the worst at it. Oh, well. <laughs> um, and yeah, just because I just heard it straight from the horse's mouth. Amanda's talking about how hard memberships are. So hard, so hard. Don't do it. Stick with one-on-one. So. <laughs> That's Look, it's just a numbers game. It's such a numbers game. And okay, this will be, I mean, it's not totally related, but this will be like, I'll just plug, let's stick this thought in about memberships. Memberships are not particularly hard when your audience size is, when your audience gets to a certain size and your ability to grow that audience gets to a certain level. But memberships are all about their war of attrition. So every member that you get, they're expiring as soon as they join your membership. They may expire after three months, after five months, after seven months, but memberships are not only are they not quote unquote residual income, they are the opposite. Memberships are the most active income. It is the most active business model that exists in our world, which is counterintuitive. It's not how they're perceived. Memberships are more of a treadmill than really any other business we have because one-on-one -on -one coaching is kind of a, I mean, not kind of, it's a treadmill. Like I set a certain amount of inventory in my week for one-on-one -on -one calls. That inventory gets consumed. Hopefully I sell all my inventory and then those clients conclude and some of them renew and some of them don't. And then I sign a new client. So in that sense, I'm on the same treadmill. It's hours for dollars. People think memberships are not hours for dollars when they absolutely are. Because it's always, what's the next campaign? How do I, how do I get my next thousand members? And the thing is, at, at the price points at which memberships are typically sold, which is in like 49 to 99 range, usually with exceptions like self-coaching scholars at 297, you have to have so many members to reach an interesting income level that it kind of becomes all consuming there there. I have yet to come across a more mellow passive membership because they just don't really seem to 
the math just doesn't seem to work that way. So for any given income level, my feeling at this point is I'm like Lindsay, who, who I was talking to before. I plan to, I'll, I think I'll always have multiple business models, but when it comes to thinking about my coaching, I'll be very clear about this number of sessions per week, sell out those sessions as those sessions continue to sell out, maybe charge a little more for them and scale through price and then go that way. And I can go that way into my seventies, eighties, or nineties. As my business is currently set up, Wednesday at four o'clock for me is what Friday at five o'clock is for most people. And you know what? That's pretty fantastic. That's not true for most. I, I would bet my lunch money that 99 of 100 membership runners cannot say what I just said. So if that's interesting to a person, the idea that Wednesday at four could be most people's Friday at five, consider one-on-one -on -one coaching as the path or groups. We're going to talk about groups, love groups. Groups can be sold like one-on-one. -on -one. They don't have to be like memberships. Anyway, we'll get there, but I appreciate your comment, Emily. It's great to have you here. Amanda knows about these calls. She was on the first one. I'll have to message her and say, how dare you? Folks, have a great, have a great week. It's so fun to chat with you on Tuesdays. We're going to do this for, I don't know, a few more Tuesdays, and then we'll stop for a while. But, uh, oh, somebody says next week we'll be diving into different types of effective soft landings. Oh, I loved how you said that. Yeah. I want to talk about what I think create, what I think becomes, what content becomes the softest landing for the people who you hope to um, resonate with. Have an amazing week and please tell a friend about this. And I really do want to be your coach. I don't have a lot of inventory left, but I do have some inventory left. So this isn't some sort of like false scarcity, you know, join now or it's never going to happen. No, there's some inventory there but it's getting tighter than I thought it would. So anyway, see you guys. Talk to you next week.